0: This is recording number 11090 from the Teaching Ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, February 9, 2014. This is the first message in a series titled, Unleashing the Power of Family. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, A Match Made in Heaven. How to Locate Your Soulmate. Now, we're going to begin today a new series of messages that will probably take us up, or at least it's my intention to, uh, for this to take us up to about Easter time. Um, two years ago, almost exactly, we were engaged in a series called Unleashing the Power of Family, and it was about six or seven messages in that series, and how many of you remember that we did that? A couple of us. Okay. <laughs> Not surprising. Anyway, <clears throat> uh, but there are so many things that the Bible has to say about family life. And family is so important to all of us. It's such the, the, in fact, really, the Bible is a story of family. God wanting to gather us into his family and modeling the kind of relationship that he wants with us through a family, the Jewish people, through the pages of Scripture. So, and, you know, it's, it's just an important theme. And um, there's so many things that uh, go into the mix of family life that we weren't able to cover everything that I had on my heart two years ago. And so I want to try to pick up where we left off and carry on with uh, some uh, subjects on this theme. Is that okay? I'm not sure what, would be, what we'd do if you said no, but... Um, Here we go. I guess it's polite to ask anyway, right? And today, I want to begin by talking to you about a match made in heaven, how to locate your soulmate. This is my middle daughter on her wedding day, and she was just with us yesterday and put me in the mood, so I'm using her picture this morning. (laughs) And as you might imagine, that handsome young man there with her is her husband. And they're closing in on 10 years. It's here this year, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's terrible. Your kids are been married 10 years. Wheel me away to the rest home, man. <laughs> i tell you. Anyway, um, you know that in this congregation, 44%, nearly half of the households are headed by a single adult. That might be surprising to you. Um, it it uh, wasn't a surprise to me, but it was sobering, sobering in a good way. Um, and what I mean by sobering is it got me serious about praying for some weddings. Mm-hmm. Now, look, the Bible is clear that g- there is a gift to, to being uh, single, and that it's God's intention that there be among us men and women who are uniquely focused on Him, apart from the demands of married life. And Paul said, you know, hey, it's, marriage is a great thing and we don't have any restriction against it. In fact, here's some things about how what, how God would want a marriage to be more like. Paul has a lot to say about marriage. But he also said it would be a great thing if you were like me and single and able to just focus on Jesus. So the Bible, sometimes the church makes this mistake of sounding as though or acting as though uh, God doesn't think much of you unless you plan to be married or are married, or the, you know somehow those two things go together. And nothing could be farther from the truth. So don't misunderstand my opening this uh, this session of our married uh, marriage or excuse me family focused messages on this subject. But it is on my mind because if half the people that I'm or half the households uh, in the congregation that I pastor are headed by a single adult. Then there's a significant number of people in our church that probably are hoping to be married or be remarried, and so I have launched a, uh, like it or not, I've launched a prayer campaign for you. And um, I was talking to somebody the other day, because you know Crossroads has matured enough to the place where we do a lot of things that you know grown-up churches do. Or you know we have uh, baptisms and infant dedications and. Uh, you know uh, memorial services and things like that but but not a huck of a lot of weddings, and so i 'm asking the Lord to change that <laughs> I was talking to another friend of mine boy i didn 't plan to say this, but I was talking to a friend of mine the other day. We were attending a wedding together. He lives on the east Coast. So we see each other very rarely and but we were comparing notes about how it seemed as though. Um, people are, uh, you know, they're, they're holding off on marriage much longer than these days. Soon I got married when we were 19. I'm not advocating that. Trust me. Um, but I'm just saying that it just seems like people are uh, postponing marriage longer and perhaps not valuing marriage in the same way that other generations have. And we were just talking about that. And he was talking about it in his church. Uh, his, pa- <laughs> his pastor said... You didn't hear me say this, okay? His pastor said to the congregation that has a significant number of single people in it, he said, just cut one out of the herd, will you? <laughs> and I thought, well, that's a little crass, but eh. I'm not going that far, but I am praying for you, all right? And the Bible has a lot to say about this, so let's dig in. Chapter 24 of Genesis. Abraham is the father of the Jewish people, the father of the Israelites. And I think you know the story, but God called this man, Abraham, to come out of everything that was familiar to him. His homeland, his people, and, and to follow the Lord. And the Lord wasn't even telling him where he was going but brought him to the land of Canaan, gave him these fantastic promises about how the Lord was going to give him this land and that he, here the, mo- the most important part was that I'm going to give you offspring and through your children, through your family, Abraham, I'm going to bless the whole world. I'm going to unleash my blessing on this planet through your family. And at the time, Abraham didn't have any children and most of you know the story. He ended up having one son by his wife, um, That son's name was Isaac. So all of that promises of God hinged on Isaac. And this is not a story about that per se, but Isaac is a main character here because it's time for Isaac to marry. Chapter 24, Genesis, verse 2. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house who ruled over all that he had, please put your hand under my thigh. Now that's kind of an odd request. Please don't ask me to do that. But... um, It was a form of, it's the way people signified a solemn oath in those days. You'd put your hand under the thigh, and I don't know why, but that's what they did. So he's asking his servant to swear, to make a solemn oath. I will make you swear, verse 3, by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you shall go to my country and to my family and to take a wife from my son Isaac. Let's begin by, by, uh, as we talk about, how to locate your soulmate by saying, don't even consider an unbeliever. Abraham said, swear to me that you will not take a wife from my son out of the Canaanites, the people among whom I live, these people who don't know anything about the true God. Go to my family. Now look, this is not, don't get me wrong, this is not about, you know, a Republican not marrying a Democrat or, you know, if you're uh, Asian, not marrying a European or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. This is about something far more fundamental. And often, um, I don't know, it seems as though, maybe the church is not a, a, a little bit ambiguous about this. I just want to be emphatic about it. And here's why. I, look, I've, I've been married, first of all, I've, my pedigree is I've been married for almost 40 years, this May, 40 years. I've also been a pastor for 30 years at plus, and counseled. I don't even want to think about how many... Uh, married couples and people who were on their way to marriage and so forth. So I've, i look, I know what I'm talking about. And if you claim to be a follower of Christ, that means He is the most important thing in your life. And to even consider, to even countenance the notion that you become romantically involved with someone with whom you cannot share the most valuable thing in your life, the primary thing in your life, is simply unthinkable to me. How... Th- that equation will not compute. Don't even go there. I know it's tempting. <laughs> but don't go there. Let me just say one other thing too. As we begin these, these uh, series of messages, I understand that I'm, I'm speaking in many cases through you to other people because many of you here... Are uh, in fact statistics uh, would indicate that half of you are already married, right? And not, and hopefully not looking for another spouse. <clears throat> um, but you, even if you are not, even if these things that we're talking about today are not specifically applied to your life's condition, you have people in the circle of your life's influence for whom they do apply. Children, friends, co-workers, people who, who would look to and are looking to you for help and guidance as they navigate their life. So I'm not only speaking to some of you directly today, I know, but some, to some uh, people through you today. And that's okay. That's the way it's going to be for the next few weeks because these topics are uh, uniquely applied to different specific circumstances that people find themselves in. Everybody with me okay? I was talking pretty fast right there. And just want to make sure you're all all with me. So don't even consider an unbeliever. I've heard every excuse in the book. And let me just tell you, romance evangelism does not work. It doesn't. Verse 5. And the servant said to him, Well, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me back to this land. Must I take your son back? to, the, to, to uh, your homeland from which you came. But Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there, the Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, To your descendants I give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. What's the point here? The point is that the servant begins to do all the but-what-ifs. Well, there's not, you know, there's not enough men to choose from. You know, there's, well, what if they, and blah, blah, you know, all of these things. And one of the things that you have to just get uh, settled in your soul is that you can trust the Lord with this. Surely, he who did not spare his own son, but nailed him to a cross for your behalf, on your behalf, can take care of this too. Surely the God who spoke and caused everything that is to be can take care of making sure that I meet the person that He meant for me to spend my life with. He can be trusted, dear one. Now I understand that we're reading the story of an arranged marriage, and that culturally kind of bugs us. We don't like that, you know. We don't want people telling us who we can marry and not marry. In fact, uh, it's, it's offensive to many of us that notion. And I understand that. And I'm not. Although, as a you know, a father of two daughters, there were times when I thought that <laughs> might be a good idea. <clears throat> but. But I I understand that, and I I don't think the Bible's advocating that, except in this way, dear one, hear me, please. You want an arranged marriage. You want your Heavenly Father to arrange your marriage. But He's faithful to do it. I understand, too, that there might be some of you who are listening to me right now, either live or or by recording. Who find yourself in a marriage that's not real pleasant. And you're, and you're thinking, well, you know, this surely wasn't what God planned for me. Please hear me say this as well. God is not insensitive to your pain. And he hasn't, um, he hasn't locked you away in some dungeon of torture. But the day you stood before him and pledged your, uh, your, uh, your life to another person in his presence was the day that person became his will for you. And God is powerful and he is able. He'll work with whatever you give him. Start with you. That's all you've got. But he can work miracles of restoration in any situation. Do not... Allow yourself to begin to distrust the Lord's power in this. Trust the Lord. uh, Abraham says to his servant, the God who set all this up and did all this for me and spoke all these promises over me, he will send his angel before you. He's going to take care of this. Verse 10 Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed for all his master's goods were in his hand. That means he had control of all of this stuff. He he packed it up and started to take off. He arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. Nahor was one of Abraham's uh, relatives. So he's fulfilling his master's desire. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water. What's not apparent is that this is a long journey. He's really traveled a long distance. So it's a very wearying trip, and he comes to outside the city, and he has the camels kneel down uh, by the well outside the city at evening time. And uh, this is the time when the women come out to draw the water. Then he said in verse 12, "O oh Lord, give my master Abraham, O oh Lord God, of my master Abraham, please give me success this day, and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water." And the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, Please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, Drink. And I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will show, Excuse me, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And it happened before he had finished speaking that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, wife of Nahor, all these names are given to help us to understand this is the right woman. She comes from the right family. But Abraham's servant doesn't know that yet. Okay? He, he's not aware of this. The writer of the, of the book of Genesis, probably Moses, is just giving us that information so that we're in on it, though he's not yet. Um, so she's of Abraham's family and she's come out with her pitcher on her shoulder now skip down um, to skip down to verse well 16 that's not really skipping is it now the young woman who was now the young woman was very beautiful behold a virgin no man had known her and she went down to the well filled her pitcher and came up and the servant ran to meet her and said remember his prayer right so he's going to do his part now Please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, drink, my lord. Wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Now, don't you imagine that uh, Abraham's servant is, is... Rejoicing, excited, feeling caught up in a, an unfolding love story. Wow, God has been answering my prayer. This is the right person, really excited about it. I want to talk to you just about that in a minute, but back up for just a second. Notice that He doesn't do anything out of the ordinary here. When it comes to locating your soulmate, just be yourself. People get weird. Have you noticed when they're looking for... I mean, they dress weird. They go to weird places. They... they, I mean, it's just... And and what you... It's not a recipe that's going to produce something good. Just be yourself. He goes to this... He's traveled a long way. He's thirsty. His camels are thirsty. They go to the well uh, where there's water. And it's the most natural thing in the world to just say, Could I have a drink of water? Notice he doesn't say, hey, babe, what's your sign? <laughs> <laughs> Can I get a drink of water? I mean, it's the most natural thing in the world. It's not weird or forced or strange. It's just, you know, going about life. Can I tell you, you, you God knows how to handle this in the context of your natural life. And, and you don't need to be anybody but who you are. Now, that's not to say that there's some things, look, all of us get bent, broken, and twisted up in lots of ways by sin. So, you know, some of us don't even know who we are, but part of what God is doing in this waiting period is helping you straighten those things out so you can be who you are, who He meant for you to be. So you don't drag that brokenness and that twistedness into a marriage. Sometimes we kind of get impatient because things aren't moving along as well quickly as we want to look i uh that's true in everything (laughs) there's rarely things things rarely in my life go along the way i think they ought to go or in the in the speed with which i think they ought to move along it's always in the rearview mirror that i'm looking back and saying wow god really knew what he was doing So take full advantage of the time that you have. If you are a person who is desiring to be married, take full, full uh, advantage of the time you have now to let God make you you. Yeah. All right, back to this. You know, you can imagine that the, uh, the Abraham servant is kind of, yes, yes, yes. You know, she's, she's, <laughs> she's the right person. But notice verse 21. And the man wondering at her remained silent. So as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. I mean, what's with that? Doesn't he already know? I mean, didn't he already set this up? Lord, if she says this and I say that and she says this. And that's already happened. Doesn't he already know? Notice this. He didn't trust his emotions. And neither should you. When it comes to romance, it, there are so many things about your life that are engaged you, mentally, emotionally, physically, and all of those things are vectors of deception. <laughs> all kinds of ways that the enemy can get to you with deception. Um, and he will do everything he can to foul this up. So don't trust your emotions. Um, Let the Lord take you deeper. And that's what he does, verse 23. So he says, whose daughter are you? He doesn't know that she's from the right family yet, right? So he's going deeper with her. Whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Melchizedek's son, whom she bore to Nahor, now he knows. He's gone deeper. He's gone below the surface. And now he's getting and says, whoa, not only is this stuff unfolding a, at a, a level that, you know, of God's indicators and stamp of approval on it, but there's, there's depth here too. This is the, the person, the family that God intended for us to, to, um, to see and to connect with. The man, verse 26, Then the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. And he said, "Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master, as for me being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren." Then verse 20, excuse me, verse 49. Now he's gone to uh, Rebecca's Uh, Father and brother, and asked her, uh, or asked about, or explained himself, and and uh, asked if he could take her back to uh, marry his um, master's son. And he says in verse forty-nine: Now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me, that I may return to the right to that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you either bad or good. Here is Rebekah before you. Take her and go and let her be your master's son's wife as the Lord has spoken. He puts it on the line here. I mean, God's stamp of approval is on every page of this thing as it unfolds. And yet, he goes to these men, to her father and brother, and he says... Are you you able to agree to this? Is this something you see God's hand on? If if so, then then let's go. If not, I'm out of here. He lays it all on the line. Why? Because there's safety. There's safety in a multitude of counselors. And he defers to God-given authority. Uh, that, That guy in the picture there, Aaron, he came and asked me, if he could ask my daughter to be his bride. Now, he did it when I was uh, under anesthesia from a surgery, uh, but he still did it. That's no lie. (laughs) And I knew right then, when I woke up from the anesthesia, that's a smart man. But he, he asked, and that's one thing. That's an important thing, you know. But there is, you know, God has arranged for you to be connected. You may not have realized this, but God has arranged for you. He always does. He has arranged for you to be connected with people who are caring about your soul, watching over you. Not intrusively, but, but specifically Everybody, God arranges for everyone to have a pastor. They may not have a, that title, they may not have that position, but everybody, God arranges to place you in connection with people who are watching over your soul, people you could go to, and say, "This is what I think is happening. Do you think this is God?" You know, when Sue and I uh, were about ready to pastor our launch or plant our first church years ago it was after many months many many months of praying and seeking the Lord and we really had felt the Lord uh, guiding us and giving us direction and vision we knew where we felt like the Lord wanted us to plant the church and uh, you know the strategy and on and on and on and I'm not always the wisest guy in this world at that point I did something smart and we went to the people that made up the leadership or the elders of the church that I was serving as an assistant pastor in at the time. And I said to them, here's our plan. This is what we believe the Lord has shown us and all this stuff, the timing of it. and what, I, Here, this is the whole thing. Now, I want to know if you feel like God is in this. If you say no, I'm folding this up and it'll never be heard from again. I'm not doing it. I trust you that much and I need, your, I need your confirmation that much. Now that day they said, no, we really sense that the Lord is in us, that this is really God's plan. Can I tell you, I walked away from that with a confidence and a, and a boldness about what we were launching into that I needed. And when it comes to these things, the matters of the heart, don't make a decision about this on the basis of a box of chocolates. Seek Godly counsel. There's somebody you know and trust. There's somebody God has placed in your life that you could turn to and just say, okay, I think God is in this. What do you think? It's so important. So important. I I had this... I I may have told you this story before, but I had this woman in a... um, not in this church, but another church that Sue and I pastored, and she... Had gone through probably the messiest, most painful divorce I, I've ever seen anyone walk through, and and you know we were helping her through that process, and and it had been substantial amount of time since that divorce was final, and she was making good recovery, and we had arranged for her to uh, be to work with a uh, Christian counselor, a licensed counselor that worked out of the offices of our church. So she was coming out. She, I was in the foyer of the church facilities. Thank God for the rain, right? Yeah. I was in the foyer of the church uh, building. And she was coming out of her appointment with the counselor. And we met there in the foyer. And I just I asked her how she was doing. It had been a little bit since I'd personally checked in on her. And she said, oh, I'm doing really well. Uh, and in fact, I've met somebody. Face, you know, smile comes to her face. And I'm... uh, My alarm bells are going off. Because, number one, she's not said anything about this to me. And um, so anyway, I I said, oh, how did you meet? Oh, I met him in a bar. Okay. And she says, and we went out to dinner. And I, I asked him if I could... Uh, ask God's blessing on the food and he didn't even mind. (laughs) I wish I could say that that worked out. It didn't. It was a painful mess. Um, People get themselves, I mean, marriage is the most wonderful thing. If God intends that for you, it's, it's unspeakably good. But when you screw around with it, it can be unspeakably bad too. So don't make this mistake. And then finally, verse 61. Rebecca and her maids arose and they rode on uh, the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. Now Isaac, remember he's the groom in all of this. Now Isaac came from the way of Beir Lehiroi. Say that several times fast. For he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. And he lifted his eyes and looked. And there the camels were coming. Then Rebekah lifted her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel. For she said to the servant, Who's this man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, It's my master. So she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And then Isaac brought her, Rebecca, into his mother Sarah's tent. And he took Rebecca and she became his wife and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Look, this is uh, verse 67. Is not like any marriage ceremony you've ever attended. But that's what it is. Um, Rebecca's mother had died. And, but her tent... Remained as a symbol, a public symbol, of the place where Isaac would bring his bride to consummate their covenant, their marriage vows. And so, when she, and so she dismounts, she veils herself. And look, I'm not, I'm not saying <laughs> that ought to be our practice. You all walk around with veils. Nobody would do it anyway, but. Um, but there's a sign- there's a symbolism there because he uh, takes he covenants with her takes her into this um, publicly uh, identifiable place so that it, th- this is a, a uh, this is something that's going on record i am marrying you i am covenanting With you for our lives together. And I want everyone to know that. Um, And he does that before he's even seen her features. And we get this so upside down in in our world. You know, where where we, we begin the process at the level of physical attraction. Trust me, physical attraction is a great thing. But it's not where you begin. Adam and Eve, their relationship, the first marriage that God ever presided over, Uh, they only had a relationship with each other because they had a relationship with him. He was the canopy under which they had a relationship. So he was the context of them coming together. It goes on to say that they developed a a deep um, soul connection with one another where Adam says, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. And then it says that they... Uh, became one flesh. So there's, a, there's a, an upside-downness about the way most of our culture per, uh, pursues this stuff. And I want you to see that if you want to do this right, you want a match made in heaven. Wait till marriage. For so many reasons that I don't have time to go into. It's weird, but people do this, weird, this strange math it's it's well you know God is in this, He brought us together. One plus one equals we should live together. Right? No, 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 and that's not just because I'm you know some sort of throwback to a to a, a distant age. It's because the context for for um, physical. Uh, intimacy has to be spiritual intimacy and you don't get that unless you're willing to go on record pledging your love to each other before God and before witnesses